The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. All right, this episode dropped on October the 3rd, and that means that you've got a couple of days to take advantage of the uh, free 30-day trial on the premium channel, The Box of Oddities. Support The Box of Oddities and get free stuff. Mm. All of that is very important information, but I can't help but focus on the fact that you say that it dropped when it will drop because right. we are in the past. Sure, I know. It's, and that it, is confusing for me, and I don't care for it. It's a temporal thing. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yeah, you've got a couple days left if you want to take advantage of that promo code and get the premium content for a month on the freezies. Uh, that's promo code BOX. Yeah. In addition to supporting us, you, uh, you get a bonus episode every month. What else do you get? Ad-free episodes. That's right. You get the uh, back channel. The back channel. Uh, direct access to us. Early access. Oh, yeah. It drops a day early. Yeah, it drops a day early. So there oh, you go. Also, which, which means that uh, if you're listening mm-hmm. to the ad-free version, then you're actually listening to this on the second. So it's the day before. Right. The day that it drops. Right. So you are living in the future, my friends. See, that's another added advantage to being a member of the Order of Freaks is that you get to uh, live in the future. Also, uh, one of my people that I interact with on the regular who I care very much about and think she's swell pointed out that um, even though... You may not be charged for this first month of free access uh, using promo code box of premium content. We still are getting that dollars. Right. So you're still supporting us, Mm -hmm. even though it's for free for you that month. Right. Now, if you're already a member of the Order of Freaks, the premium channel, you're wondering, why the hell am I listening to this? Mm -hmm. Well... In addition to Saturday the 5th being the deadline for the promo code box, 30-day free thing ending, it is also the deadline for you to take a screenshot of you listening on the premium channel and sending it to us. Oh, to qualify for those uh, VIP tickets that are up for grabs. Right. If you want to go see the show live, either in San Francisco, Boston, Charlotte, or Nashville, and you uh, are a premium subscriber or become one... You have a chance to win VIP tickets. All the details are on the social meds. If we try to explain it now, it's going to be very confusing. I'm already confused. You can support The Box of Oddities on the premium channel by going to theboxofoddities.com or just hit us up on the... um, The old Himalaya. The Himalaya app. A mosquito bit me, and now I am swollen. We're in Maine... It is October, and there are still mosquitoes. Look at it. Oh, my God. I know. I'm. Your, sw- your foot is swelling up like a cassava melon. I think it's because it's right on that vein on my foot. Oh, it's so painful. All right. Suck it up. You're a professional. No, you suck it up. You're the one that has to suck it out. Otherwise, I'm not going to suck it out. It's the poison. No. It's what happens. Suck my foot. <laughs> <laughs> suck it. Instead, let's get to the first story, which you are, in fact, delivering today. Oh, oh, it's my turn to go Mm -hmm. first. I love going first. Here we go. Okay. I've been on a uh, a bit of a kick lately, and we're going back uh, in time again. It's a little bit of history. 
So for those of you listening on the premium channel, you're listening to us in the future, mm-hmm. uh, but we're going back in time, so that'll <laughs> cancel it out. Yeah, it's actually yesterday, yeah. by the way. Which is our regular listeners two days ago. <laughs> well, let's go back to 1941. We but, weren't podcasting then. That's true. We could have been, though. We're just lazy. <laughs> <laughs> I blame it on the fact that we're not motivated enough. So it's 1941, the height of World War II. A Norwegian woman named Astrid was hit on the head with shrapnel during a raid, and she suffered a brain injury. Neurologist uh, George Herman Monrad Krohn noticed right away that despite her fluent Norwegian She had a decided foreign accent, so he took her for German or French. Okay. So she's hit in the head Mm -hmm. by shrapnel. She wakes up and she's speaking with a foreign accent. That's correct. This is not unusual, and it reminds me of the topic I did way, way back at the beginning of the podcast. I think it was 1952. Sure. And we talked about... um, Accidental savantism. Yeah. It kind of dovetails into that. Well, yes and no. Okay. So foreign accent syndrome does not allow you to speak in a foreign language. It, well, it's something different. So this is according to curiosity.com. Neurologist Crone, we're just going to call him Crone from now on because his name is very long. Uh, Hang on a second. Willie's yakking on a bone. JK, we don't give them bones. No. That was my Randy Quaid reference for the day. Oh. I try to work one in. A Christmas vacation reference. I I got it. I'm sorry. It's a personal goal of mine to work in obscure Randy Quaid dialogue. It's um, important. At least once a day. Well, it's important that every once in a while we're reminded, Randy Quaid, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Speaking of oddities. Anyway, go ahead. So he called the condition uh, disprosity or disprosity. Disprosity. I would say disprosity. Um, At the time, uh, that came from a. It doesn't matter. So, anyway, neurogenic foreign accent syndrome is when someone's brain is damaged either through a stroke or traumatic brain injury. Either way, uh, this leads to uh, changed speech. And it's unclear exactly how that works, but uh, the damage is often located in the middle uh, cerebral artery and the brain regions associated with speech, especially the left hemisphere. Okay, so it's a particular, it's, it's a, um, an injury in a particular area of the brain. That is correct. So this is what Astrid had, you know, due to the shrapnel. So those with the syndrome sound as though they speak in their native languages, but with a foreign accent. For example, an American uh, native speaker of English might sound like they have a southeastern English accent, or a native English speaker from Britain might speak with a New York accent. However, researchers at Oxford University have found that certain specific parts of the brain uh, were injured in some foreign accent syndrome cases, indicating that the particular part of the brain that controls those linguistic functions and the, the damage that happened could result in that altered pitch or the mispronounced syllables causing the speech patterns to be distorted. So is it just... A distortion or are they, I mean, it does it sound like a French accent, for example, or is it truly a French accent? That's the thing is like in Astrid's case, for example, she sounded German, which when at that time was not great for her. No, no, um, I didn't. I didn't think about that. Now, contrary to popular beliefs, the individuals with let's call it FAS, foreign accent syndrome, uh, exhibit their accent without any effort. They're not trying to sound different, uh, but it is the perception of an accent. So it's likely to be a case of periodolia on the part of the listener. So it's not... Ooh, okay. 
it's not the person speaking with an accent. It's that the way that their speech has been affected makes the listener think they have an accent. Okay. It's kind of like how our brain is wired to recognize faces. Yes. It's because our brains um, fill in so much right. uh, on the day-to-day, on the, the moment-to-moment. Um, our brains hear something different. Our brains perceive something different. And we go, accent. That's... Um and that leads to a whole other rabbit hole of um, what, in fact, is reality. And right. is, is reality just simply what, we, what perceive? we perceive? And what if we're not perceiving things as they actually are? Right. Which we don't, by the way. Episode. I have firsthand knowledge. <laughs> Randy Quaid told me. There was an episode of The Good Place where uh, Michael's walking around his office cleaning things that no one can mm-hmm. else can see. And mm-hmm. he was like, oh, I'm sorry, you, you guys don't see things in this dimension, but uh, it's very messy in here. <laughs> <laughs> so um, because, like like I said, of Astrid's situation, um, in 1941, during the German assault on Norway, her lilt made her really the, the focus of a lot of scrutiny and... Um, discrimination and try to explain that to the person at the check post exactly when you're trying to get back into town well no see here's what happened i was hit in the head by shrapnel yeah and i woke up with a german accent and she's never been to germany she's never spent time with native german speakers but she was ostracized the term foreign accent syndrome was actually coined in 1982 by a neurologist, or I'm sorry, a neurolinguist, which sounds dirty. It sounds uh, really quite delightful, actually. Harry Whitaker. The most recent case appeared in Case Reports in Psychiatry, uh, and that was last year. Uh, the patient was a 34-year-old African-American U.S.-born single female, the report begins. And she was brought to the emergency room after assaulting her mother's landlady. So she believed that her mother's landlady had cursed her using voodoo. So her family had a history of schizophrenia, and she was diagnosed with the condition herself. She also spoke in a very distinctive British accent. So she substituted the th- the th sound for the f sound and a regular w sound, like a w for a w, you know that kind of thing. Yeah, but was it like a Cockney accent? I don't think it was that. No, because it, especially no in her case, because she also spoke in a monotone accent. Oh. Because so, that is, would be really weird. Is monotone an accent? In a monotone nature. Okay. In a monotone, monotone way. She was monotone. Yeah. So that would have been strange. Yeah. My so. mom's landlord gave me the voodoo curse, you see. My apologies to you in the UK. <laughs> but instead it was like... My mom's landlord. <laughs> no, no, I'm not going to have to stop. Okay. No, that got weird and Australian, and I'm sorry. Yeah, what happened there? No, no, no. I want to go there so badly. Let's just be honest with each other. Neither one of us can do accents. We're not great at it. No, except, you know, maybe some regional U.S. accents. That's the only thing I can do. And most accents I can only do if I'm also doing something else that makes me think of that accent. It's like when I do the Bullwinkle voice. Yeah. I have to make the antlers. <laughs> with, the, with your hands. I have to make the antlers with my hands. Sure. Or if I'm doing a, some sort of New Jersey accent, I have to pretend to chew gum. Anyway, so in psychogenic foreign accent syndrome which is what this woman had, unlike what Astrid had. Um, There isn't any identifiable brain damage, but the person has some sort of psychiatric disorder. Um, So they they don't see anything on a CAT scan. That's fascinating. And the accent can persist through the episode and may disappear after the episode subsides. Whereas in the cases of those with brain damage, the accent stays. Wow. So in 2013, Lindsay Nichols, a professor of cognitive science, uh, explained the phenomenon in a book called The Conversation. She spoke of a case in which an Australian woman named Leanne Rowe woke up sounding French after a car accident. Vowels are very susceptible, she wrote, to being distorted by slight differences in tongue, lip, Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. jaw placement, and different languages use vowels differently. That is true. In fact, if you 
try to learn an accent, they it's they all about vowels. It's all about vowels. It's exactly right. Yeah. Like A's, how we say A's in the U.S. In Australia, or some parts of Australia, I'm not generalizing here, but in some parts of Australia, it seems to me mm-hmm. that uh, they say the uh, A's the way that we say eyes. So it's like, good eye, mate, instead of good day, mate, good day, mate, good day, mate, good eye, mate. We should stop doing this immediately. I'm, we're offending everybody. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I we love, love you, you Australia. so much. Please don't leave us. Yes, don't. We can barely speak English. It's true. So, we're you know. terrible, terrible people. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> we, we love you. We do. We're not making fun. No. No, we're making no. fun of us. We're awful. We're horrible, horrible people. <laughs> What are you doing listening to this podcast for the love of God? So in 2010, there were several subtypes of foreign accent syndrome identified, and they were described as neurogenic, developmental, psychogenic, and mixed variant. Neurogenic FAS is a term when um, that describes when FAS occurs after central nervous system damage. Psychogenic is used uh, when FAS is psychologically induced, associated with psychiatric disorders. Developmental FAS is used when the accent is perceptible as in in an early age, like children who have always spoken with what sounds like an accent. But it's not. It's just that they've always had this weird vowel issue. So like when a kid says, I'm real tired, that can be mistaken for like, I don't know, Swedish? I don't think that's the case at all. (laughs) The term mixed FAS is used when patients develop the disorder after neurological damage, but the accent change has such a profound impact on self-perception and identity Hmm. that they will modify or enhance the accent to fit with an entirely new persona. Let's say you, you get you get beamed in the noggin with a baseball at a Cubs game. Yes. Okay. Oh, and, remember that movie Simon Birch? And then you wake up in the morning mm-hmm. and you know you're you're talking in this French accent and accent and then suddenly you have this uncontrollable urge to wear a beret. Yeah. And carry it like a uh, baguette. A baguette under your arm. And a tote bag. Yeah. Well, no, it's just to match the perception of who you are based on how people see your accent Hmm. you change your personality so it's almost like a self-defense kind of thing yeah i want to fit in more right but it's a it's a combination of things because there is that psychological component of efforting to meet that accent halfway i guess sure um but that wasn't the original cause of the fas which is incredibly interesting, I think. It's, I mean, it's like if you woke up with a mohawk and all of a sudden we're like, okay, I have to behave now like I'm a 1980s punk rocker. <laughs> this is who I will be. I'm in the Ramones. The Ramones never had mohawks. I'm just saying. So anyway, treatment includes speech therapy, counseling. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much it. And berets and baguettes. That's right. Well... I think the the cure for so many things mm. is baguettes. Sure. Berets I'm still not sold on. What if it was a raspberry beret? Mm. Like Even the less kind, so. The kind you find at a secondhand store. No. No. That makes me and all doves cry. And now, that thing in the middle. All right, here we go. These are failed fast food flops. Number five, the enormous omelet sandwich from Burger King. Um, this was a breakfast sandwich that uh, was really huge and was discontinued because of its size. Initially, Burger King sales jumped 20%, but it fell out of favor because customers were looking for more healthier options than like a dozen eggs on a fried bun. <laughs> Number four, mixed spaghetti. What? I didn't know this was a thing. I'd never heard of this. So apparently... McDonald's was attempting to expand its menu by adding spaghetti to its list of offerings. <laughs> Mixed spaghetti proved spaghetti proved to be unpopular in the U.S., but it is possible still to find it in some international locations. Number three, the McAfrica. What? From McDonald's. It was uh, some beef 
that was sandwiched between two slices of pita bread with some cheese and vegetables. But this sandwich caused a bit of an international uproar. Well, that's rude. It was a PR nightmare. I just think it's terrible. It's a terrible idea. First of all, it's a continent. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You can't really sum up a continent with a fast food burger. Gross. All right, number two. The Bell Beefer from Taco Bell. It was like a sloppy joe, basically. There is a Facebook page, though, asking to bring back the Bell Beefer, which also sounds dirty. And number one, Frings from Jack in the Box. In 1979, Jack in the Box saw no reason why a consumer should have to decide between fries and onion rings. So Frings, it was a combination basket. So they took French fries, like a handful of French fries, and then a handful of onion rings and jammed them in a box and called it Frings. Oh, so it wasn't like a combi- onion no, rings no. in the shape of a fry no. or a f- fry ring. Mm-mm. It was no. just... Some onion rings and also some yeah. fries. It should have been really popular, but it wasn't. I remember I moved to Tucson in to 19- get frings. <laughs> yes, because I wanted frings. <laughs> in those days, you had to move out of Maine if you wanted to get the good stuff. <laughs> I moved to Tucson in 1980, and they were heavily promoting frings at Jack in the Box. I really? still remember the jingle. You want to hear it? Yes, please. <laughs> okay. Better than fries, better than rings. What a combination. It's Frings. Stop it. Was Uh, Frings a 1980 sitcom? I'm sorry, I can't stop laughing. (laughs) Available for a limited time at Jack in the Box. Yeah, so there you go. Oh, we should watch Fringe. Frings? The word Frings reminded you of Fringe? It's the same. The Box of Oddities. With Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parenting kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our Aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the Aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life... Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off 
plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code oddities at checkout. And you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As curator for the Box of Oddities, I've been instructed by the powers that be to issue this urgent warning. Please pay attention. This is for your own good. We've intercepted chatter confirming that Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth will soon be on the streets and roaming freely among you. This warning is specifically for the people in and around the U.S. cities of San Francisco, California, Boston, Massachusetts, Charlotte, North Carolina, and Nashville, Tennessee. Plans for the Box of Oddities live Halloween tour are in place and will be executed October 16th at Cobb's Comedy Nightclub, San Francisco, October 27th at Laugh Boston in Boston, October 29th at the Comedy Zone, Charlotte, and October 30th at Zany's Comedy Nightclub, Nashville. For tickets and information, go to theboxofoddities.com. The Box of Oddities live Halloween tour. Please take all necessary precautions. You're listening to The Box of Oddities. The question is, why? Shannon sent us a message. She said, currently listening to the newest episode about mailing different items. I work in a funeral home, and it's always interesting to ship a body. (laughs) It's like packing up a huge package, making sure you have all the correct information written on the box. We mail bodies via airmail. We use Delta to ship. Also, when you ship cremated remains, you can only use the United States Postal Service. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. UPS, FedEx, and others do not carry human remains. It's always entertaining for me to take the cremains to the post office and the lady states, ooh, they're still warm. (laughs) (laughs) That's wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) Any hoozle, thanks for the podcast. You're amazing. Thank you, Shannon. Thank you, Shannon. You're amazing. All right, my turn. Today, we call them tightrope walkers. Yeah. In the 19th century, we called them rope dancers. Well, not us personally. No. Actually, rope dancers sounds like a... A profession of people who make money, you know, dancing on ropes. That could be cool. Like, instead of a pole, it's a rope. It's like gym class meets strip club. That got weird. I'm sorry. (laughs) Along with rope dancers, they were also known as funambulists. Funambulists. The, uh, The most famous in the 19th century was the Great Blondine. Smithsonian Magazine says that during the winter of... 1858, 34-year-old French acrobat, the great Blondine, traveled to Niagara Falls. He wanted to become the first person to cross the falls on a tightrope. Wow. And this is 1858. But, you know, because he went in the middle of the winter and it was upstate New York, he thought maybe, you know, well, he saw all the ice and snow on both banks and the violent wind. Um, He decided that not a good time to climb on a tightrope and hang over a gorge. So yeah, Honestly, it's not a great time to do a whole lot in no, the Northeast no. unless you're into outdoor snow sports. So he delayed the event until better weather. Now, this guy was good. He always worked without a net. Ooh. His belief was if you prepare for disaster, 
You're going to make one more likely to occur. Okay. All right. All right. So, all right. So this rope that he was uh, planning to walk across frickin' Niagara Falls on in 1858 was 1,300 feet long. It was nearly three inches in diameter and, okay. and made of hemp. So it was a it was a wide rope. It's not like yeah. it was it was a wide twine. Rope. No, no. How how far is one thousand one thousand three hundred feet? Yeah, that's over four football fields in length. Oh wow! Okay. A, a U.S. football field. All right, American. Oh, football. we're talking. Yeah. We're talking touchdown no. ball. Right. Yeah, football. So this rope, this hemp rope. Less than three inches in diameter was the only thing that separated him from the dangerous, turbulent waters of Niagara Falls, which were far below him. This guy was, uh, he was, he, I think he was even small by uh, mid-19th century standards. He wasn't quite 5'5". Five five. He weighed 140 pounds. Wow. He had bright blue eyes and golden hair, which gave him his nickname, the Great Blondine. Now, he believed... Rope walking was an art form. He said, it was like being a poet. You're born and not made. He was four years old when he discovered his talent. He was uh, in the kitchen. Yeah. And he took some like rope that he had lying around the house or his mother or father did. And he tied it between two chairs. And at four years old, started walking across this rope. It amazed his family. So a year later, when he was um, five... He was enrolled at the École des Gymnases in Lyon. He came to America in 1855 for the first time when a theatrical agent by the name of William Niblo booked him, which, by the way, Niblo, what a great name. Glorious. Booked him uh, for an engagement with Franconi's equestrian troop. Wait, did they have horse they rope had, walkers? Yeah, well, he did all kinds of acrobatic stuff. He probably, one of those guys that stood on the back of horses and did backflips and that that type of thing. Okay. But when he came to the U.S., that's when he uh, first got the idea of walking across Niagara Falls. Now, he had he recognized very early on that people had a true sense of the morbid. Right. You know? Yeah. Most people would pay money to watch some guy put himself in extreme danger and possibly die in front of them. His manager, Harry Collard, wrote, quote, he was more like a fantastic sprite than a human being. Mm-hmm. Had he lived a century or two earlier, he would have been treated as one possessed of the devil. He could walk the rope as a bird cleaves to air. Again, according to Smithsonian Magazine on the morning of June 30th, 1859, 25,000 people showed up to watch him walk across Niagara Falls on this rope. Wow. They came by train. They came by steamer. (laughs) Cleveland. Cleveland. Yeah. And so both sides of the falls, both the Canadian and the American side, were, quote, fairly black with swarms of spectators. There were judges, clerics, statesmen, generals, members of Congress were there, capitalists, artists, newspapers, of course. Salesmen and hucksters, they were there selling their their wares. Vendors gave tours to the press explaining the logistics of what uh, the great Blondine was about to attempt. And then, of course, there were those who were selling whiskey. Whiskey and lemonade was a popular concession. Whiskey and lemonade. Together? Mm Mm-hmm. So as they're preparing, they used a lighter rope, not even an inch thick. It was attached to the end of the uh, the giant cable that he was going to walk across to help pull it across the river. Okay. On the American side, the cable was wound around the trunk of an oak tree. <laughs> That's how they secured it in uh, what was called White's Pleasure Grounds, uh, securing oh. it on the Canadian side. <laughs> I mean... Well, it is Niagara Falls. I'm yeah. sorry. Once again... That sounds dirty. It's like Sneaky Bobo's Motor Lodge. (laughs) On the Canadian side, it presented more of a problem. Blondine's assistants were afraid that the light rope that they were using wouldn't bear the weight of the cable when they were trying to pull it up the gorge to anchor it on the Canadian side. But uh, the great Blondine had a solution to that, and it added to the show. After tying another rope around him, he repelled 200 feet on this little rope, and then climbed back to the Canadian ground and secured the cable to a rock. Whoa. So on 
the American side, it's tied to a tree. Mm-hmm. On the Canadian side, it's tied to a rock. To prevent the, the cable from swaying, they tied guy ropes. They ran from the cable at 20-foot intervals to posts on both banks. Okay. However, there was about 50 feet of cable in the middle of this span that could not be fastened with guy wires. Uh, it was impossible. It was, they were, it was too far out over the, uh, the falls. At that spot, in the middle of his crossing, he would be a little bit lower than he normally would be on the rest of the rope, he, but he would still be 190 feet above the gorge. Okay, so it sagged a little bit because yes. of that distance. Okay. Now, there were hundreds of people that examined the rope, according to one witness, and every single one of them said he could not do this. They said, nobody can possibly do this, especially when you get out to the middle and there's no support. And for 50 feet, that rope's going to be blowing around over the falls. Can you imagine the wind turbulence? And, right. I mean, all that water that's churning below you. That's, sure. Yeah. I mean, in my head, I could probably do it. One critic even went as far as to say that there's no way that rope will sustain him and that he deserved to be dashed to atoms for his what? desperate foolhardiness. Rude. So before 5 p.m., Blondine took his position on the American side. He was, check this out, he was dressed in pink tights with sparkles. And the lowering sun made him appear as though his clothing was glowing in the, in the light. Oh, that's very clever. He wore very fine leather shoes that were made of very soft leather. The soles were very soft. Sure. He also carried a balancing pole, which was about 26 feet long, and, and that alone weighed 50 pounds. I always thought that balancing poles seemed like they would make things harder. You would think so. I mean, that's what your brain tells you, but apparently it, it doesn't. I mean, they know more about they, yeah. this than I do, so. Very slowly, very calmly, he started to walk. One man who witnessed it said his gait was very like the walk of some barnyard cock. Children were terrified. They, they clung to the mother's legs they peeked out from behind their parasols because everybody had parasols back then. Of course they did. Several onlookers actually fainted. About a third of the way across, Blondine shocked the crowd by sitting down on his cable. Goober. And calling for the maid of the mist, which is the famed tourist vessel. He That's called on where Pam and Jim got married. And it's also where Jim Carrey had that meltdown. He called on the uh, vessel to anchor momentarily beneath him. He cast down a line and hauled up a bottle of wine and he drank it. Stop it. Blondini. Blondine. Yeah, Whatever. Yeah. And then he started off again, breaking into a run as he <gasps> passed the sagging center. There was a band that played Home Sweet Home as Blondine reached the Canadian side. One man helped pull him ashore and exclaimed, I wouldn't look at anything like that again for a million dollars. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So Blondine wasn't done. After 20 minutes of rest, he began the journey to the other side. He went back. Oh, I didn't know that was part of the thing. I didn't. I don't think anybody did. But this time, he took one of those old-fashioned, what do they call them, Daguerre-type cameras. Oh, the giant... With the glass plates. Yeah, yeah, and the big thing that you put over your head and stuff. He strapped one of those to his back. And then he went out on the line again. He was out 200 feet. He affixed his balancing pole to the cable. He untied his load. He adjusted it in front of him, and then he snapped some pictures of the crowd on the American side. Um, He then took the camera apart, put it back on his back, and then continued on his way. The 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 entire walk bank to bank took uh, about uh, a little over 20 minutes, and Blondine immediately announced an encore performance to take place on the 4th of July. He wasn't done. What? So wait, was the band still playing that Motley Crue song? Or? No, no, no. They weren't playing the Motley Crue song. They had stopped at help him load the camera on his back. Okay. Because that's not a one-man job. Obviously not. It would have been cooler if he'd taken like the first selfie. You know, that's what I was just thinking is that reminds me of like, you know how this it's become very popular for artists to take selfies from the stage with the audience in the background and right. like post it on Instagram or whatever. That's kind of like what this was. Like he was Yeah. He was really quite the self promoter, wasn't he? He was absolutely I love it. Not everybody appreciated uh his antics. 
The New York Times condemned, quote, such reckless and aimless exposure of life and the thoughtless people who enjoyed looking at this fellow creature in deadly peril. Mark Twain dismissed Blondine as, quote, that adventurous ass. Well, I don't think that that coming from Mark Twain is necessarily a dismissal or even a criticism. Mark Twain had a really interesting way of appreciating people. Some people refused to believe their own eyes. They said it was a hoax, even though they were there and they watched it. They said, no, that's a hoax. Wow. That's fake news. Even though I stood here and watched it myself and I saw the guy do it. And there's a camera that shows that it happened. There are pictures of it, even Mm. from that time period. They refused to believe it. Nevertheless, on the 4th of July, Blondine appeared at the American end of the cable, this time without his balancing pole. What? Halfway across, he lay down on the cable. He flipped himself over and began walking backward. He stopped. He took out a flask of whiskey, took a swig of it, and then made it safely to the Canadian side. On the journey back... Oh, I'm getting nervous. I'm getting nervous. On the journey back, he wore a sack over his body which deprived him of any sight. He couldn't see where he was going. Wait, so he was like like in a sack race, but instead the sack was over the top of him. Yes. Wait, what? How? One reporter wrote, one can scarcely believe that the feat was indeed real and stands gazing upon the slender cord and the awful gulf in a state of utter bewilderment. I look back upon it as a dream. That's unbelievable. But Blondine wasn't done. Oh, no. He announced subsequent crossings, promising that each would be more daring than the last. On July 15th of that year, President Millard Fillmore went to see him do this. You know I love me some Millard Fillmore. This time he walked backward to Canada, all the way across, and returned to the U.S. pushing a wheelbarrow. Was it full of strawberries? I don't know. Because those are my favorite wheelbarrows. I I don't know what the balancing properties of uh, strawberries would be. Mm -hmm. So I think he would choose his produce carefully. Sure. Two weeks later, he somersaulted and then backflipped his way across. He would occasionally pause and dangle from the cable by one hand. No. After that, he made another crossing. And after a brief rest, appeared on the Canadian end of the cable carrying Harry Collard. His manager clinging to his back. I thought that Harry Colored must be some sort of like basket that I didn't know about, but it's a man. It's a man. Oh. He gave his manager the following instructions. Quote, look up, Harry. You are no longer Colcord. You are Blondine. Until I clear this place, be a part of me, mind, body, and soul. If I sway, sway with me. Do not attempt to do any balancing yourself. If you do... We will both go to our death. Who the f- would do this? I mean, sure, you know, you're managing the guy and you want him to be successful. Right. But, duh. That's a lot of trust to put in someone else. I mean, Blondine's trust in Colbert yeah, or right. whatever his name is. Uh, because your natural instinct is to correct whatever it is that's happening. Yeah. Like when you're in a boat or something and right. you're like, me. Oh, I would. I couldn't do it. That's no, just of course not. Nightmare. No, you wouldn't get anywhere near that rope. The thought of you getting near that rope is hilarious to me. <laughs> <laughs> As they were walking across the rope, some of the guy wires snapped along the way, which made them sway even more. And he had this guy on his back, but they made it across. Another time he crossed at night. With a locomotive headlight affixed to either end of the cable. And again, I think that would make it harder. And again, this is according to Smithsonian Magazine. He crossed with his body in shackles. Another time he crossed carrying a table and chair. He stopped in the middle and tried to sit and prop his feet up on the table. But the chair tumbled into the water and Blondine almost followed, but was able to regain his composure. He sat on the cable and he ate a piece of cake. <laughs> And then he washed it down with champagne. In one of his most famous exploits, he carried a stove and utensils on his back. He walked to the center of the, of the cable. He stopped. He started a fire. He cooked an omelet. And then he lowered breakfast to passengers of the Maid of the Mist. That's not real. <laughs> it is real. <laughs> there are photos of it. 
This guy performed in China, Australia, India, all over Europe. In 1888, he wanted to perform in Central Park. He was forbidden to. He had to settle instead for St. George in, St- in Staten Island. Although, he was 65 years old at that time. Whoa. He put his son and another man on his back, walked out into the middle of the cable, made omelets for the crowd. Stop it. And his final performance in 1896... They estimate that he had crossed Niagara Falls about 300 times, and he had walked more than 10,000 miles on his rope. Wow. He made that walk, no complications, but he died of complications from diabetes, probably from, you know, all those omelets. Can omelets give you diabetes? I mean, I suppose anything can. The key is moderation. He was 73 years old. He never had life insurance. He said that uh, no one would take the risk on him. Plus, I mean, wouldn't life insurance be like having a net? However, that is not the last time that somebody walked across a rope over Niagara Falls. Um. Nick Walenda crossed Niagara Falls on June 5th, 2012. This was on a live ABC special following a two-year legal battle that involved uh, both sides of the Canada-United States border to gain approval. For his stunt, he was required, in order for them to give him approval, he had to wear a safety harness. Of course. But he made it all the way across. Not a problem at all. But did he make omelets? He did not make omelets. Mm. Probably the harness would have restricted his movement. And one knows it's not easy to flip that omelet over without tearing it. That's right. And then the feta gets out. And it just gets all burny on the outside. And how much feta can can you carry out there anyway? It has to be very precise. Now, you might recognize the name Walenda. Nick is the seventh generation member of the Flying Walendas. They were a family of aerialists or are a family of aerialists. His ancestors were mostly of Austro-Hungarian descent. They've been circus performers since the 1700s. Wow. They were the one. Well, actually, his great-grandfather, Carl Walenda, made the family famous in the 1920s with the Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey Circus. Um, He was the one, you you see pictures of tightrope walkers and they've got like, uh, they're carrying um, poles and then on top of the poles, there are people balancing on chairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The seven-tier pyramid. He invented that. Oh. He was the one. So Nick Walenda, of course, a direct uh, descendant of Carl, he calls Carl his role model and his biggest hero in his life, his great-grandfather. Several members of the family have lost their lives while training or performing. In 1962, the troops' seven-person pyramid collapsed, killing two family members and paralyzing Walenda's uncle, Mario. In 1978, at the age of 73, Carl Walenda was crossing a tightrope in Puerto Rico on live TV, and the wind blew him off, and he fell 10 stories and was killed. Whoa. 73 years old. I suppose that's likely the way that he would want to go, right? Mm, I guess, sure. And the thing is, there's actually, because it was on live TV, mm. there's footage on YouTube, Bob, if you want to watch a guy, 73-year-old man, plummet, plummet to his no, death in, in San Juan, Puerto Rico. No, I'm, I'm all set. All right. Well, just want to let you know it's there in case you want to watch it. Nope. Okay. I'm so, good. Yeah. I have not a crippling fear of heights, but there's no fucking way I would ever climb on a guy's back and let him walk across a tightrope. Mm. Even no. even like even if it was back when he was in his kitchen with two chairs and a clothesline. Yeah. You know. No, I remember us going up the uh, ski lift type uh, contraption on the way to zip lining, and you were losing your mind. So I'm probably. But I did zip line down that mountain. No, you absolutely did. I have been down. The steepest, longest zip line in the world. Well, it is the steepest, yes, but it's not the longest. Yeah, steepest, and it goes right down the side of a friggin' mountain. And I will say on my way up to that, I I may have pooped a little, <laughs> a little bit, uh, but not so much that anybody noticed. We should post that video. Oh, that yeah, that was fun. That was a good time. That was in uh, St. Martin? Mm-hmm. Okay, very good. Anyway, that's what I got for you. Tightrope walkers. I like it. That was really interesting, sweetheart. That guy was nuts. Yeah. And then he did 300 walks and never had a mishap. Incredible. It really is. It almost seems sad that he did die from diabetes. Complications due to. That's, um, you know, you do all these incredible things and then all of a sudden it's like, 
Oh, my blood sugar took me out. <laughs> that seems terrible, doesn't it's a, a it? A bit anticlimactic. Well, even just like for someone who's experienced all of that to just be laying in a bed and that's just how you go. Yep, that's it. That's kind of a bummer. Because, you know, your entire life, if you're this guy, the great blondine, you've prepared yourself mentally. Mm. You probably, in some dark part of the back of your brain, expect to go that way. Sure. It'll, I'll go out like a big explosion. I will be... Everyone like, will see. It'll be... Uh, people will talk about it for generations. Yeah. Nobody talks about him dying from, you know diabetes that's good yeah, i mean i guess i guess i don't know sure whatever i don't know i got pre-screened the other day still diabetes free yay hey, what a way to go thanks okay the box of oddities a couple times a week don't forget uh, you've got a couple of days well you have until uh, depending upon when you listen you have until october 5th to take advantage of the uh, 30 day free on the premium channel we'll see you on monday until then keep flying that freak flag fly it proudly beautiful freak and so let it be box of oddities belongs to you and its fate is in your hands the box of oddities commits to the telling of stories stories of the strange the bizarre the unexpected we wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage the box of oddities.com on facebook at facebook.com slash box of oddities podcast on Twitter at Box of Oddities and Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Better than fries, better than rings. What a combination. It's friends. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.